series going through the book of Joshua. So you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1. The name Joshua literally means the Lord or Yahweh is salvation. That's, that's the subtitle of the sermon series. And as you probably know, Joshua is actually the Hebrew form of the Greek name Jesus. So Jesus would have been known in Hebrew as Joshua or Yahshua. I, I uh, won't attempt to pronounce that correctly with my East Texas uh, background. We actually don't know who authored the book of Joshua. Uh, I guess I always grew up assuming it was Joshua, but it doesn't actually say. And of course, the book ends describing Joshua's death, so he couldn't have written that part. Uh, but there, the, the book doesn't make any claims as to who wrote it, so uh, it's not really an issue of uh, controversy. I'll just say that to, to say that Joshua didn't necessarily write the book. Uh, Joshua is the main human character in the book, and the reason I say human character is because Really, throughout Scripture, of course, in every book, God is the main character. He's the one behind everything and, and moving everything to happen. But Joshua is the main human character in the book. And as you probably know, Joshua was Moses' assistant for many years. And then after Moses died, he was uh, made his successor as leader of the nation of Israel. Actually, he appointed him uh, uh, as his successor before he died. And God also put his stamp on that. The book of Joshua, the, the main thing that Joshua is about, the big idea is really the conquest of the land of Canaan, the land that God had promised to Israel. And the book begins right where the book of De Deuteronomy left off. So at the, at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses' death is talked about, and then uh, Joshua is talked about as being his successor. And to give you a little bit of context with the, the, uh, the feeling, they're kind of in this transition period. So it's, it's recent that Moses has died, and now Joshua is taking over. So they're in a little bit of a, you know, kind of an interim period, you might say. And they're also camped on the eastern side of the river Jordan. Jordan, and across the river is the promised land that God has given them. So that's where we find them in Joshua one. And I'm going to go ahead and read the whole chapter. It's kind of lengthy, but uh, I think it'll help us to see the whole story. So turn with me to Joshua chapter one. And you can also follow along on the screen behind me. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses." From, this, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand, to get, stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all that Moses, all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate. Excuse me, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. And then you will have good success. 
Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, Prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you, and they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Amen. Now I want you to think for just a minute about where Joshua was emotionally and mentally. He was being appointed to follow a legend. Moses, the great deliverer of Israel, I was reminded of... uh, it's a much smaller scale because I'm going to go to the, the sports world. But I was reminded of uh, 1989, the, uh, Tom Landry, who was the legendary coach of the Dallas Cowboys. In fact, up until that point, the only head coach that the Dallas Cowboys had ever had. He was the man who made the Cowboys what they were, leading them to championship after championship, making them into America's team. And he was fired by the new owner, Jerry Jones, and some people still haven't recovered <laughs> from that. <laughs> He was fired by the new owner, and uh, the new owner, Jerry Jones, hired Jimmy Johnson to become the head coach. And Jimmy Johnson actually joked that you don't want to be the coach who follows a legend. You want to be the coach that follows the coach that followed the legend, because people inevitably will be disappointed with the one who follows someone who is so legendary and sets such a high bar. And I'm sure Joshua was feeling a lot of that. I mean, how, how can I step into the shoes of Moses? Moses is... This, is, this man is a legend. He's, he's the father of our nation. How in the world can I do what he did? He was strong. He was wise. He was faithful. He was godly. How on earth can I be good enough to do what Moses did? And think about what the nation of Israel must have been feeling. How can anyone take Moses' place? He was our deliverer. He led us out of slavery when we were enslaved in Egypt. The Lord spoke to Moses face to face. The Bible says, just as a man would speak to his friend. It was Moses who received the tablets of stone that were written on with the very finger of God. It was Moses who was allowed to see the veiled glory of God. It was Moses through whom God performed countless signs and wonders to deliver and protect Israel on their journey through the wilderness. So Moses is dead. What's next? What do we do now? Where do we go from here? Well, the book of Joshua answers that question, and I was talking to Wayne Allred before service and mentioning that the, one of the things I was excited about preaching through Joshua, one of the reasons I was excited about preaching through Joshua is because it's a very exciting book. It's filled with, with battles and action and conflict. And uh, 
However, chapter 1, there's none of that. None. It's just all talking. The whole thing's talking. So uh, hopefully you'll begin to feel a little bit of anticipation for the action to come. But uh, this won't have as much movement as I would have liked. Not quite worthy of a movie. This passage is really made up of three parts. And I mentioned that it's all talking. So it's, it's first uh, God who's talking to Joshua. And then Joshua talks to the people of Israel. And then the people of Israel respond to Joshua. So I'll look at each one of those parts in turn. But uh, I am going to spend more time on the first part where God's speaking to Joshua because it's uh, both for the fact that more important things are said as well as the fact that it's a bit longer. And the only reason I say that is because when you're crafting a sermon, you're supposed to, and, and for the audience's sake, supposed to try to make each point roughly equal in length. Well, this one is not. So if we get through 20 minutes and I'm just starting point two, don't think that we have another 40 to 60 to go, okay? So... Point one will be the longest one. Okay, so first of all, God commissions Joshua. So after Joshua, excuse me, after Moses died, Joshua surely is feeling the weight of responsibility. Now he is responsible for God's people. He's responsible to carry them on and lead them. And he's probably wondering what he should do first. What, what should be my first act as leader of the nation of Israel? Well, in his kindness and compassion, the Lord spoke to Joshua to give him that direction it says, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. So God speaks to Joshua, and he tells him, this is what you do next. You get up, and you go into the land of, Israel, land of Canaan. You go possess the land that I have given. Moses is dead, Joshua, so you're the one that I have appointed to lead this people, so lead Go ahead and, and walk into what I have given you. Lead them into their inheritance. That's the commission that God gave to Joshua, to lead Israel to take possession of the land that God has given them. You know, a lot of us, in general, we know kind of our life's purpose. But in Joshua's case, here at the last 20 years or so of his life, God gave him very specifically his assignment. Lead Israel into the promised land to take possession of it. And I think it's important to notice the motive for Israel's conquest of Canaan. One of the, the challenges in the book of Joshua is what the Israelites did. <laughs> because here are all these people living happily in this land, and Joshua and his people come along, and they're like, get out. <laughs> die, or get, get out or die. And, and so it looks very unjust, you know, from our perspective. And that, that can be a challenge for us to kind of figure out what exactly is going on here. But I think the first thing you need to know is that the motive for Israel's conquest was not some kind of greedy land grab or some kind of ethnic cleansing. It wasn't a matter of, we don't like the Canaanites, so we're going to go destroy them. God gave Israel this land. And who owned the land of Canaan? Y'all can say it. Yes, God owned it. God owns the entire earth, so God can give the land to whomever he chooses to give it. And so God chose to give this land to Israel, and he chose to drive out the Canaanites because of their iniquity. And as a matter of fact, centuries later, God chose to remove Israel from this land because of their iniquity. So this, this isn't a matter of, of injustice on God's part or injustice on God's part. God owns the land, God chose to give it to Israel, and God chose to drive out the Canaanites. There was not some kind of agenda of hatred that was going on here. They were taking possession of the land of Canaan because God gave them the land. 
So God commissions Joshua to lead the people to take the land, and Joshua knows what that means. It means war. He knows that these tribes of Canaan are not simply going to say, oh, okay, God gave you this land. Please, have our city. We will move elsewhere. He knows that they're going to fight tooth and nail to keep their land. Now, I say that there actually are a few exceptions where people did say, here, please come on in. Uh, but we'll get to that in later chapters, and the action chapters that are coming later. The Canaanites do not serve the living God, so of course they're not going to pay any attention to God's giving of the land to Israel. Israel's going to have to fight to take it, and that means bloody war. And warfare in those days, of course, as you know, was extremely bloody. You were fighting with sword and spear and uh, arrow. It was an intimidating, an intimidating assignment. So God encourages Joshua by saying three times, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and courageous, Joshua. But God has something behind that exhortation. He doesn't just put it out there to basically say, Joshua, muster up your courage and believe in yourself. Joshua, you have the skills and the, the seasoned experience of being a man of war and a, and a field marshal in battle. That's not what God was saying. God was giving Joshua a basis or a foundation for this strength and courage that he was exhorting him to. And what he was saying was, be strong and courageous because of my promise and because of my presence. He only tells Joshua to be strong and courageous after he reminds him of the promise of the land and the certainty of his presence. Verses 3 and 4 say, every place, this is God speaking to Joshua, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. This is God promising. This land is yours because I am giving it to you. That's why you can be strong, Joshua. That's why you can be courageous because I am guaranteeing this land. And then he adds in verse 5, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. And here's why. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. He gave Joshua the certainty of his presence. God bolsters Joshua's resolve by telling him that I have promised you the land and that I will be with you. That's why Joshua can be strong and courageous, because God has guaranteed it and because God is going to be going with him and before him. In fact, God finishes his commission to Joshua with these words, <clears throat> for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It was the promise and presence of God that gave Joshua courage and strength. And the promise and presence of God can give us courage and strength. You and I need courage to be able to say no to sinful temptations. You and I need courage to be able to say no to living for ourselves. We need courage to trust that God's ways are better than the world's ways, even though the world makes its ways look so attractive. You and I need the strength and the courage that comes from God's promise and presence in order to live our lives under the lordship of his son. And before I move on to the next part, one other thing I want to highlight about God's commission, and that is the importance of the word of God. Look at verses 7 and 8. Only be strong and very courageous. <clears throat> Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it. 
to the right hand or to the left. I did that backwards. That's y'all's right and my left. I mean, your left. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. And then look at verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will, have, then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Be strong and courageous, Joshua, being careful to do all the law. Follow my commands. Follow my rules, Joshua. Don't deviate from what I have commanded. And in verse 8, that's where he points to the written word of God as a key to staying on this straight path of obedience. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Speak of it. Let it shape your thinking. Let it shape your conversation. This phrase, book of the law, probably refers specifically to the book of Deuteronomy because that had the entire law of God in it. And God was telling Joshua to be intimately familiar with it so that he could obey it and so that he could lead the nation of Israel in obedience. And in order for that to happen, Joshua, you need to meditate on it. You need to think about it. You need to ponder what it means and how it applies to the different situations of your life. Now, I realize that God's command here is specifically to Joshua and not to the people of Israel at large. Joshua, as Israel's leader, had to be familiar with the law of God because that was the law by which the nation was led. But the principle applies to all of God's children because God intended for all of his people to study and think about the word. For instance, in Deuteronomy 6.6, God tells the people of Israel to talk of them, referring to his laws, talk of his laws, when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. And Psalm 1 says that a person is blessed if their delight is in the law of the Lord and they meditate on it day and night. Same thing that God said to Joshua. Reading and thinking about God's word forms our thought life, which shapes both our actions and our speech. The scriptures are essential to following the Lord, and obedience to the Lord brings him glory and brings us blessing. God told Joshua, if you're faithful to my law, you will have good success wherever you go. And he said that Joshua's obedience would make his way prosperous. Now, what God was promising Joshua is that if he was faithful that he would then be successful in this endeavor that God had given him, and that was taking possession of the promised land. He's referring to military success, defeating the Canaanites. And the words success and prosperous in this verse are not referring to gaining wealth or popularity or fame. As one commentator put it, when God says that we'll be successful or prosperous, God is talking about succeeding in life's proper endeavors. In other words, the plan that God has for you, the will that God has for you, the purposes that God has for your life. When you're faithful to him, you're going to succeed in those. It may not result in fame. In fact, it may result in poverty. It did so for John the Baptist and Jesus and many others. But it will, will result in success in accomplishing God's will. God had a purpose for Joshua to lead Israel to take possession of the land of promise. And Joshua's love for God's word would help him to obey that purpose. Excuse me, would help him to obey that word, which would result in him achieving God's purpose for him. Pardon me, I'm going to get another drink. And God has purposes for your life, just like he had for Joshua's life. As I mentioned before, there are a number of those high-level purposes that are true for every believer making disciples of Jesus, uh, becoming more like Jesus, 
serving others, loving others, bringing glory to God. And we need God's word in our lives in order to accomplish these things. We need God's word in order to pursue them even. Like Joshua, you and I are strengthened and encouraged to obey through loving the word of God. <clears throat> so that's, jo excuse me, that's God's commission to Joshua. And so after he commissions Joshua, now Joshua commands the people of Israel. He's received God's commission to lead the people into the land of promise. So then he gathers up the leaders of the nation and tells them to get ready to take the land that God has given to them. Verses 10 and 11 say this, And God commanded the officers of the people, Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, Prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Joshua has been given a clear word from God, so he can very confidently give a clear word to those under his leadership. It's time to move. It's time to take possession of the land that God has given us. It's time to enter the promised land. And remember that it is God who is giving us this land. It is not dependent upon our strength, but upon the Lord's strength. Now, verses 12 to 15 may seem a little bit weird to you. The context for that is Numbers chapter 32. So I'll give you just a little bit of background on that. In Numbers 32, Israel is on the eastern side of the Jordan, looking over toward the promised land. And there are these three tribes. Well, it's really the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and part of the tribe of Manasseh. That's why they're referred to as the half-tribe of Manasseh. Well, they approach Moses and they say, Look, I know that we, the nation's about to enter this land that God has promised us, but we raise cattle. We're cattlemen. We're Texans. And this land, this land is perfect for raising cattle. So Moses, how about this? Why don't you let us stay here and make this our inheritance? And we will help you guys with your inheritance, but this is where we'll settle our families. And so Moses agreed to do that, and Joshua is reminding them, okay, now that we're about to go, remember what you guys promised. I want you to remember uh, the obligation that you have. And he wants to remind them, first of all, of course, that they agreed to do that, that they would send their men <clears throat> along with the, uh, the other men to fight until uh, the land was conquered. And Joshua's also reminding them again that it is God who gave them that land. Now, in Numbers 32, which is a fascinating chapter, and I, I encourage you to look at it uh, sometime this week. In Numbers 32, when they came to Moses with this offer, they, what they said was, we'll settle here, and then we will go with y'all and we will deliver the land to you. We will bring you guys into your rest. And when Moses responded, he said, okay, when you guys settle and you send your men, y'all are going to be with us while God gives us the land, while God brings us into our rest. And so Joshua is reminding them again, guys, it's not dependent on you. Okay, You're, you're not like the, the A team, like our pastor search team. You're not the A-team that's going to come to the rescue here. All of this depends on God, but you have obligated yourselves rightfully to help out your brothers while they take possession of the land. And he's reminding them, as well as all of Israel, that the battle ahead ultimately depends on God's power, not theirs. <clears throat> he tells them that their fighting men will continue with the rest of Israel until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. The determining factor in their victory over the Canaanites is God himself. Israel had the promise and the presence of God to give them hope and to give them assurance. And Joshua is telling Israel, if we follow the Lord, 
we can't lose. This is ours. God has promised it to us. God is greater than anything we'll face. It is ours. So let's go. And that's still the case for the people of God. Everyone who trusts in Christ is adopted into God's family. And 1 Peter 1 says that we have an inheritance that is undefiled, that is imperishable, that is unfading, and that is kept in heaven for us. In addition to that, excuse me, that inheritance is the fullness of our salvation. Now, everyone who trusts in Christ is immediately saved. You are born again. You are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You are justified. You are sanctified. You are adopted. You are loved and you are accepted. But I think all of us know that we are not now enjoying the fullness of our salvation. By a show of hands, does anyone in here still struggle with sin and pain? At least half of you. All of us still struggle with sin and pain. We're, our bodies are not perfect. We are not experiencing unhindered fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So this inheritance that is waiting for us is eternal life on the renewed earth. Heaven is going to come down to earth. God is going to renew the planet in perfection. This inheritance includes receiving glorified, perfect bodies, never again to hurt, never again to experience, experience sorrow, never again to be tempted to sin. And this inheritance is going to involve full, unhindered fellowship with the triune God. And brothers and sisters, I can tell you, based upon the clear word of God, that each and every one of you will obtain your inheritance. From the strongest saint on this earth to the weakest saint on this earth, our leader, Jesus Christ, will not lose any of his sheep. He will bring us all into the inheritance. The determining factor in our victory over this world, our flesh, and the devil is the Lord himself. And like the nation of Israel in Joshua 1, we do need to know that there are battles to fight. We do need to know that it won't be easy to walk through this life, but we also need to know that God has given us victory. Jesus has already won on our behalf. Philippians 1.6 says that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Now Joshua often serves as a type of Christ because he is God's appointed leader over God's people to lead God's people into their inheritance. And in the same way, of course, Jesus is God's appointed leader over his people who will lead us into our inheritance. But Joshua could not fight Israel's battles for them. Joshua couldn't win the victory by himself. But our Lord Jesus did just that. Remember where he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, what human support he had, absolutely none, when he was carrying his cross, when he was being nailed to the cross, when he was receiving the wrath of God, and then ultimately tasting death itself for us. He had no assistance. It was all the Lord Jesus Christ who won the battle. So he's far, far greater, of course, than Joshua. He can and he has conquered our enemies all on his own. And our victory, our enjoyment of the inheritance that we're promised is assured because of his life and his ministry and his death and his resurrection. Some of the people that Joshua was leading to take the promised land were going to die in the battle for the promised land. But as I mentioned just a few seconds ago, Christ Jesus will lose none of his sheep, none of them. All of us will make it to the promised land because of his faithfulness and his strength. So now we come to the last part of the passage, and that's where Israel responds to Joshua. In another sign of God's good favor on Joshua, first of all, the fact that he spoke with him directly to give him this commission, 
and to encourage him. But in another sign of God's favor, the people of Israel respond with enthusiastic support for Joshua's leadership. And they answer Joshua, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Now, I, I realize there is a slight bit, maybe a lot, of irony in that statement. Because if you read the record of Israel's relationship to Moses, <laughs> they did not follow him in everything he said. They did not always obey him. Sometimes they took up stones, were ready to kill him. But their heart seems to be in the right place. Okay, this is their aim. Joshua, we recognize that you are appointed by God himself. We believe that you have heard directly from God, and we are going to follow you. We are going to obey you. You say that it's time to enter the promised land. We're ready to go. Let's go take possession of it. But here's our prayer. Only may the Lord our God, be, may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. You are our leader, but the only way we're going to accomplish what God is calling us to is if God himself is with us. We must have the presence of God. This is the root of God, excuse me, of Israel's obedient response. Since God is with you, Joshua, we'll follow you. That's exactly how we should respond to Christ. All that you command us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. Israel could respond that way because they knew that Joshua was speaking for God. And we should respond that way because we know that Jesus is God in the flesh. And he loves us far more than Joshua loved Israel. Jesus gave his very life for you. Excuse me, Jesus gave his very life for you. And he gives you eternal life and righteousness and holiness and sanctification and peace and contentment and an inheritance and on and on and on. And when you disobey, and we all will, when you disobey... Jesus continues to love you. When you're unfaithful, the Bible says, Jesus is still faithful. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are a backsliding believer, living in rebellion against the Lord, yielding to sin instead of struggling against it, or out of fellowship with the Lord because you don't want to be uncomfortable in your sin, I urge you this morning to call on him. Admit to him what you've been doing and receive his forgiveness and restoration. Christ will not make you wait and stew in your guilt. Christ will rush in with arms wide open to embrace you and love you and bring you close to him again. He won't glare at you in anger or hold you in arm's length. He'll forgive and restore and remind you that you are his child. If you have moved in with your boyfriend or girlfriend, determined to enjoy the pleasures of marriage without experiencing the covenant of marriage, Admit that to the Lord. Receive his forgiveness. Ask his strength to follow his way of holiness and purity. Perhaps you get drunk once a week to deal with the pain in your life, or to deal with the stress in your life, or to deal with different emotions. Tell Jesus about that. Receive his forgiveness and love and ask him to give you the strength to repent and turn away from that. And in all of those situations, friends, if you're a backsliding believer or just a Christian who seems to be struggling with something you can't get out from under, reach out to a fellow believer. It could be an elder or a deacon or a person on staff here at the church. It can be another mature believer here in the church. Reach out to the church of Jesus Christ where your brothers and your sisters, we will not look at you with guilt, guilty condemnation. We will receive you and we will try to help you as best we can, pointing you toward Christ and walking with you. We should respond to the Lord with unqualified obedience. That should be our aim, knowing that we will fall short 
in the execution of it. After pledging to follow Jesus, excuse me, after pledging to follow Joshua, the Israelites repeat the same encouragement that God himself had given to Joshua. Joshua, be strong and courageous. We're going to face challenges, Joshua. We're going into a land of hostile people. We're going to face the sword and the spear and the arrow. We're going to be facing people who are battle-hardened and have fortified cities. It's going to be painful and difficult. We need to be sure that God is with you and that you'll be strong and courageous, that you'll stay faithful, that you'll stick with us as our leader through the good times and the bad. We need you to set your heart to lead us until the task is finished, regardless of the obstacles and difficulties ahead. <clears throat> be strong and courageous. Now, that is a wonderful exhortation to any leader in the church, whether you're a Sunday school teacher or an elder. <clears throat> Because all of us are going to face battles, all of us are going to face difficulties, all of us are going to see the difficulties and pain of the people that, we're that, are, excuse me, that are following us, and we need to set our hearts to be courageous in the strength of the Lord, that we will stick with them, that we will be faithful to the task. The righteous response to God's command is obedience, and that was what the Israelites offered to Joshua. Knowing that you have the promise of God and the presence of God gives you the strength and the courage to do what God wants you to do. Israel here is a good example for us. You know, very often in the Old Testament, they're a negative example. Don't follow what they did. But in this case, they're a good example for us. Like Israel, we've been given God's promise. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says that all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. All the good things that God has promised are given to us who are united to Christ. And everyone who trusts in Christ is united to him through their faith. Church, you have the promise of God. You have the promise of forgiveness. You have the promise of adoption. You have the promise of acceptance. You have the promise of eternal faithful love, and on and on. And because of this promise, you can courageously risk obedience to God. You can risk being rejected or embarrassed because the Lord is always with you. You can risk failing and looking like a fool because the Lord is always with you. Because God promises to carry you, he promises to work through you, he promises to keep you. And like Israel, we have not only the promise of God, but we have the presence of God. In fact, we have something that Israel didn't have, and that is the indwelling Holy Spirit, the very presence of God always within us in his fullness. The Lord Christ, after his resurrection, commissioned his followers, much as God commissioned Joshua here. But instead of telling us to take the land, what he told us to do was make disciples, make followers of Christ. And he comforted them with the assurance of his presence. I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is with you, brothers and sisters. The triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit is in you and with you and is working through you and on your behalf. You can risk obedience. You can risk serving others. You can risk living for someone else than yourself. I'll sum it up this way. The promise and presence of Christ empower us to pursue his will without fear. You don't have to fear failure. God will carry you through. God will carry you through to the end, and he will always be with you. You don't have to fear that you're going to mess up and throw off your whole life's plan. You can trust that God in his sovereign power is able to work through your foolishness, through your mistakes, and even through your outright sin. You don't have to fear loss. 
God will provide for you and God will always be with you. Now, I've mentioned a few ways throughout this whole message that you can respond to this word from God. I'll just mention a few others in closing. One encouragement I will give is just to praise God for his promises and his presence. This is what we can build our lives on, guys. All of us from time to time are tempted to get our lives on something else. I know in my 20s, the main thing was politics for me. And so my hope for salvation, if you will, was if the right man, this wonderful, crazy, right-wing person would get into office, that would solve all of my problems. But my eyes were on the wrong thing because my hope is ultimately only in Christ. And so I encourage all of you to praise God for his promise and presence and rely on his promise and presence to give you comfort. Right now, your job, our country, the world, your family, there may be 10,000 things in your life that are going the wrong way, but you can trust that God is still there, still loving you, still faithfully carrying you. I would also encourage you, if you haven't done this before, to memorize Joshua 1, 8 through 9. And then finally, encourage a struggling believer that you know. Encourage them with the promise of God. A promise, I gave a few examples, a promise that might apply to their specific situation. Maybe they're feeling depressed. Maybe they're feeling like God doesn't love them. Maybe they're feeling rejected, whatever. Offer them a promise from God's word to encourage their hearts. And as always, let me just say, it's, you're not offering it. Don't come to someone in an in, in attitude of, superiority or uh, let me solve your problems come to them with humble love offering to point them to the lord jesus and with the motive of encouraging them and not building yourself up let's go to the lord in prayer great god of the universe thank you for your promise through christ jesus you have given us all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places Praise you for that, O God. And you have also given us your presence always. Jesus, you said you would always be with us to the end of the age. You said that your spirit would never leave us. The Father's eyes are always upon us. And you are interceding on our behalf. We give you praise and glory for that comfort, Lord. And we ask for your guidance and your leadership over this body of believers. I ask, O God, if there is someone in this congregation who is feeling depressed or anxious or discouraged, that you would reach out your hand to them and offer them the comforting truth of your promise and presence. I pray that you would bring another brother and sister in Christ beside them to offer them the comfort of a loving touch and the comfort of encouragement. Lord God, I ask for your grace over this body. I pray that you would use us to glorify your name. And when we fail you, Lord, when we give in to that familiar sin, may we turn to you knowing that you still love us, that you're still faithful, and that we can still rest knowing that you will bring us into our inheritance. I pray, O Lord, for a special measure of grace on everyone gathered here this morning and those that are watching online. May we live knowing that you are with us and that you have promised us all good things. In your holy name, amen.